Welcome to the Holmesville Church of the Brethren. This is the worship service for October 9th, 2022. Join in our call to worship. When we are lonely and feeling lost, Jesus calls us and brings us hope and peace. When we are angry and frustrated, Jesus heals our wounds and soothes our tempers. When we are sorrowful and broken, Jesus binds up our wounds with his healing love. Come, let us worship the one who cares so abundantly for us. Amen.
Our scripture today is Luke 17, 12 through 17. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out to him, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? This message is called The Tenth Leper, and it is from a pastor named B.B. Taylor. Lepers became part of my nightmare repertoire at an early age after I went with my parents to a film directed by Federico Fellini. I don't remember what town we lived in then or what the movie was about, but I do remember the lepers. They lived in caves, out of which they crept like vampires, shielding themselves from the light, their heads hooded, their whole bodies hidden under tattered shrouds. The first sound was the tinkle of the bells they wore around their necks, but as they approached the camera, as they approached me, they began to cry out in their tiny voices, Unclean! Unclean! they cried, as they stretched out their hands for food, hands missing thumbs, missing fingers, which was horrible enough. But then they were on top of me and I looked into their hungry, eaten faces, faces that have been with me ever since. That is, thank God, the extent of my acquaintance with lepers, but not so for the people of the Bible. Leprosy was a dread but common affliction in those days, so common, in fact, that lepers had a prescribed social role, and a religious one, too. The book of Leviticus spends two whole chapters teaching priests how to diagnose diseases of the skin, how to perform rites of purification should they be healed. As for the lepers, the one who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his lip and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone in an habitation outside the camp. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. Leprosy was not seen, however, as a punishment for sin. It was understood instead as an inexplicable act of God, which made it even more frightening. If there was nothing you did to deserve leprosy, then it followed that there was nothing you could do to avoid it. And so lepers were shunned. Because their disease was contagious, certainly, but it was more than that. It was their pain, their loneliness, their unspeakable fear no one wanted to catch. And so they were kept at a distance, barred from the religious community, and declared unworthy of God. They were the unclean outsiders, not to be mistaken as having anything in common with the healthy insiders. Understand? 
They live over there. We live over here. We are not like them. God knows we feel sorry for them, but we have to be sensible about these things. None of this was challenged by the lepers themselves. They could not work, after all, and they depended upon the charity of the insiders for their livelihood. So they dressed as they were told and spoke as they were told and did not cross over the line that had been drawn to separate them from those with unblemished skin. They were obedient. They followed their orders, and even when Jesus, that renowned healer of lepers, came to town, they did not break rank. They stood at the proper distance and said the proper things. Jesus, Master, they said, calling him by his messianic title, have mercy upon us. So he looked at them and saw what anyone could see, that they were eaten up by leprosy and needed all the mercy they could get. He did not touch them. There was no mud, no spittle, no talk of faith this time, just an order. Go and show yourselves to the priests, Jesus said, and they did disappearing as obediently as they had appeared in the first place. None of them asked why, but there was only one reason to go see the priests, and that was to receive a diagnosis, a verdict, clean or unclean, insider or out, member of the community or beggar on the outskirts of town. None of them asked why, But as they went to do as they were told, they were cleansed. The scabs went away, the color returned, the feeling came back into limbs that had been numb for years. And nine went on to do as they were told, to have priests in Jerusalem certify their cures and restore them to society. But one did not do as he was told. One, when he saw that he was healed, cried out, turned back, and did not rest until he lay on his face in the dirt at Jesus' feet, praising God and giving thanks. He made a spectacle of himself, all the more so once he was recognized as a Samaritan, a believer in the Torah as far as he was concerned, but a Gentile and foreigner as far as the house of David was concerned." He was, in other words, a double outsider, once by virtue of his leprosy and twice by virtue of his non-Jewish blood, a double loser lying at the feet of Jesus and thanking God as if God were somehow present in a man and somehow revealed in the presence of that man. He was one of the unclean who saw what the clean could not see and who refused to be separated from what gave him life. It is hard to say what effect the tenth leper's response had on Jesus. Something happened, because all of a sudden he started asking questions. Weren't there ten lepers here a minute ago? Where are the other nine? Is this foreigner the only one who knows how to say thank you? He said, and then turned to the tenth leper. Rise and go your way, he said. Your faith has saved you. Once you stop to think about it, this is all very odd. Didn't Jesus tell all ten to show themselves to the priests? 
And didn't nine do what they were told? Didn't this one, in fact, not do as he was told and even flaunt his disobedience with a great sloppy show of emotion? And weren't all ten healed? Then how come this one got special treatment, got told his faith had made him well? Weren't all ten made well? What is going on here? Ten were healed of their skin diseases, but only one was saved. Ten were declared clean and restored to society, but only one was said to have faith. Ten set out for Jerusalem to claim their free gifts, as they were told, but only one turned back and gave himself to the giver instead. Ten behaved like good lepers, good Jews, only one A double loser behaved like a man in love. There is a lot going on here. At this church, we leave the sanctuary open five days a week from nine to five, like the banks and businesses that surround us. We like to think of it as a peace offering to our corporate neighbors. We keep it dim and cool inside, a kind of oasis in the middle of the city where passers-by can stop and be quiet for a while, stop and look, stop and listen. But as you know, the city is full of all kinds of people, and not everyone comes in here with godly intentions. So we have installed a closed-circuit television camera to keep an eye on the place to make sure no one runs off with the candlesticks or does anything unseemly in the pews, like drink or sleep or embrace. You have to be sensible about such things. The monitor sits beside the receptionist's desk in the parish office where the volunteer on the desk can keep watch over the altar and its furnishings. One day last fall, the receptionist on duty became concerned. There's a man lying face down on the altar steps, she said. I wouldn't bother you, but he's been there for hours. Every now and then he stands up, raises his arms toward the altar, and lies down again. Do you think he's all right? Four priests and several staff members conferred over the matter and elected the parish superintendent to go check on the man. As he did so, we all huddled around the monitor to watch. Our envoy appeared on the screen, walked up to the man, exchanged a few words with him, and returned to the parish office. He says he's praying. Aha, we said, thanking him for this information. It went on for days. Every morning around 11, the receptionist would look up from her desk, and there he would be, prostrate before the altar, his hair in knots, his torn clothes covered with dust balls from the floor. The sexton cleaned around him. The altar guild tried not to disturb him when they came to polish the silver. The florist asked if he should leave the flowers somewhere else, but we said no, just step over the man and put them on the altar where they belong. We discussed the problem at staff meeting. Should we do something? Someone asked. I don't know, said someone else. What do you think? I think I want to get on that guy's prayer list, one of us said, and we all laughed. 
Finally, it was Sunday and my turn to celebrate communion at the early service. He was there when I arrived, blocking my path to the altar, and I did not know what to do. Maybe he was drunk. Surely he was crazy. What would happen if I asked him to move? Approaching him as if I were approaching a landmine, I tapped him on the shoulder. He was so skinny, so dirty. Excuse me, I said, but there's going to be a service here in a few minutes. I'm sorry, but you'll have to move. He lifted his forehead from the floor and spoke with a heavy Haitian accent. That's okay, he said, rising and dusting himself off in one dignified motion. Then he left, and he never came back. The eight o'clock service began on time. The faithful took their places, and I took mine. We read our parts well. We spoke when we were supposed to speak and were silent when we were supposed to be silent. We offered up our symbolic gifts. We performed our bounden duty and service, and there was nothing wrong with what we did, nothing at all. We were good servants, careful and contrite sinners who had come for our ritual cleansing, but one of us was missing. The foreigner was no longer among us. He had risen and gone his way, but the place where he lay on his face for hours, making a spectacle of himself, seemed all at once so full of heat and light that I stepped around it on my way out, chastened, if only for that moment, by the call to a love so excessive, so disturbing, so beyond the call to obedience, that it made me want to leave all my good works behind. But that is a long time ago now, and what has become apparent in the meantime is that I know how to be obedient, but I do not know how to be in love. It does not seem to be an ability I can command, like reflective listening or public speaking. And so I do what I know how to do, and I do it as well as I know how. I read my Bible, say my prayers, pay my pledge, and there is nothing wrong with that, nothing at all. It is that kind of steady, law-abiding discipleship, the discipleship of the nine lepers, that has kept the great ship of the church afloat for thousands of years. I am one of the nine, but it is the tenth leper who interests me, the outsider, the double loser who captures my imagination, the one whose disease I fear, whose passion confounds me, whom I may not see at all because he does not need a priest to certify his cure. Where are the nine? Jesus asks. But I know where they are. Where is the tenth leper? This is what I want to know. Where is the one who followed his heart instead of his instructions, who accepted his life as a gift and gave it back again, whose thanksgiving rose up from somewhere so deep inside him that it turned him around, changed his direction, led him to Jesus, made him well? Where are the nine? Where is the tenth? 
Where is the disorderly one who failed to go along with the crowd? The impulsive one who fell on his face in the dirt? The fanatical one who loved God so much that obedience was beside the point? Where did that one go? Not that I am likely to go after him. It is safer here with the nine. We know the rules and who does what. We are the ones upon whom the institution depends. But the missing one, the one who turned back or was turned away or turned against, where did he go? Who is he and whom is he with? And what does he know that we do not know? Where are the nine? We are here, right here. But where, for the love of God, is the tenth? Let us pray. O God, we thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
receive the benediction. Having opened your hearts to God and received God's healing love, now go into this hurting, troubled world with the good news of God's presence and compassion. Amen.